always thankful for the hospitality and the kindness here. And um, since I saw you last, 30 pounds disappeared. I had COVID in July. And while I needed to lose weight, and I'm um, not one of these that lectures on health food or anything, but for those of you that are hosting me and stuff, I'm eating less. I'm just trying to be a good boy. And so I'm not a social misfit, but please understand that I, uh, I need to still fit in my clothes. And uh, so, uh, but thank you for your hospitality and I'm excited about being here this week. I wanna say on Tuesday night, um, if you can only come to one service, come tonight. But on Tuesday night, uh, I'll be speaking uh, to the church, but kind of toward the next generation and the, and the future, and I want to address that. And I'm thankful for the good leadership your pastor and his wife provide week in and week out. We're going to be looking at Matthew 28 and Hebrews 5. Matthew 28 and Hebrews 5. I don't know, um, can we, if I have some pictures on my phone, can we, can we make a slideshow and show them up here for, I mean, I'm saying for one of the times, just the 20 pictures, who's, who do I see to do that? Uh, Jerry. Jerry? And Aaron. All right. We're going to, um. Let's say Tuesday night is the treat. I want to show you some, some pictures. Um, all right, uh, Matthew 28. This church, I know I, I'm not a member here. I'm an associate member. I do everything except tithe here. And so <laughs> I, I claim membership, but I still tithe back in Wisconsin. But this church, I don't have to read your constitution and bylaws to know that somewhere in the very early part, it'll say the purpose of this church is to glorify God and to fulfill the great commission stated in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And our purpose is Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and so we're going to read that today because that is, we're back to the foundational things. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 28. And read it out loud with me. I'll let you stay seated, but please read this out loud. Verses 19 and 20 of Matthew chapter 28. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the scriptures. Wow, what a wonderful, wonderful thing that we can be centered on such a simple but deep spiritual truth. Would you help Freedom Baptist Church to have a rekindled excitement, enthusiasm, and commitment 
to what they said they were doing in the first place. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we have this get them saved first. Teach all nations. And while we make no apologies for it, we believe every person has inside them a never-dying soul. Not just everybody here, but everybody in the community, everybody that you work with, everybody you're related to, they have a never-dying soul inside. And that soul is the eternal part of them that when they pass from this life, they breathe their last breath, they're there in the casket, but they don't cease to exist. They go on into eternity, and they live forever. That never-dying soul is going to spend eternity either in heaven with the Lord or in hell in punishment in the lake of fire. Ultimately, we believe that. And so because of that, we have a sense of urgency of, hey, the king's business requires haste. We've got to get them saved. We've got to get them the gospel. So this hey, let's have a blood drive, but we'll put a tract in there. We see everything through this periscope of we've got to get them the gospel. Give them a chance to go to heaven. Give them hope beyond the grave. Give them the opportunity to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They can only be saved by grace through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And we make no apologies. It's not in the tub, it's in the blood, right? And so we say, when you get saved, you don't join the Lord's Navy, you join the Lord's Army and all of that. Hey, your baptism won't do it. It's only faith in Christ, right? So then, once they are saved, then we say, hey, now the first step of obedience is for you to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. It doesn't make you more saved. It doesn't wash away your original sin. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. But following the Lord and believers' baptism is you publicly saying, I believe in the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that someday, though I die and am buried, I too will be raised in the resurrection of the just. And it's a portrayal of our faith. And then it says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And so while once somebody's saved, and once they're baptized, now we teach them. And this role of teaching them, if you just think, when remember when Jesus was called to the grave of Lazarus and Mary and Martha said, well, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. He had to say Lazarus because if he'd have just said come forth, everybody would have come out. So he says, Lazarus, come forth. And then he turns to the disciples and says, loose him and let him free. Why? Why? Because Jesus does the miraculous that no human can do, but there is a role in helping people get rid of the old grave clothes of this life that the other Christians have a part in. We, we help them get shed of all that old life. And I'm glad when I got saved, they were very patient with me. I needed to get saved. I had a lot of regrettable things 
in my past. And I'm glad they were patient and worked with me and loved me and didn't make fun of me when I was just growing as a Christian. And so we always say, hey, they, they get the milk of the word. You get to Acts 15, hey, there's new Gentile converts, and what are we going to teach them? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to keep the new moons? Do they have to observe the Sabbath? Do they have to keep Moses' law? And while they have a big convocation there in Acts 15, and Peter talks, and these talk, and then Paul talks, and then John the pastor stands up, or James the pastor stands up and says, Men and brethren, my sentence is this. For these new baby Gentile Christians, we're going to lay no other burden on them, but to abstain from things strangled and from blood and from fornication and from things sacrificed to idols, because Moses is preached in every city. What he's saying is, the Jews, who were the messengers of God to the culture, they'd be offended if you ate things sacrificed to idols and all of that. So, hey, for testimony's sake, we just say, stay away from these. But we're going to lay no other burden on them than just those simple four things. Now, they all agree. They send letters out. And hey, James says, just abstain from things, from things strangled, from blood, from things sacrificed to idols, and from fornication. Just that's all you need to know. You don't need to know Moses' law. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. You don't have to observe the new moons. You don't have to. Christ is the end of the law to everyone that believeth. Right? Isn't that wonderful? But a lot of Bible got written after Acts 15. There's a lot more to Christianity than just the baby food that you say to a new convert. Hey, milk, bread, and meat. Hey, the Bible talks about put off the old man with his deeds. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Come out from among them, and be ye separate. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. It's a, don't go to law with your brother. Hey, don't let fornication in the church. Hey, lots of Bible got written after Acts 15. Today, we live in a culture where there's a lot of churches that like to just say, oh, listen, God doesn't care about anything as long as you're saved. Yes, God does care about lots of things. If you're going to just stop in Acts 15, then rip the last part of your Bible off and throw it away. God wanted us to know a lot more. There's a lot more to Christian life than just, well, as long as I'm not... I mean, these churches today, the message is, good God, good devil, good you, good me, good everything... Come as you are, leave as you came. You were just fine. God accepts us. It's all under the blood. It's all under grace. That, but that message is not the Bible message. Hey, let us go on under perfection. Be ye perfect. There's a 
we're trying to mature in Christ and be more like Christ. We're trying to be conformed to the image of Christ. We're seeking for excellency. Hey, yes, we're just a bunch of sinners not worth anything except that God loves us and he wants the best for us. And when we do right, he rewards that. Now, I pastored, so I, I see everything through these lenses. And when I read Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it's let's get them saved, let's get them wet, and then let's get them growing. And so we use this euphemism, you can quote it from ever, forever from now on, win them, wet them, and work them. Get them saved, get them baptized. They're commanded to be baptized, I'm commanded to baptize them. And hey, get them saved, get them baptized, but that's not the end of it all. That's just the beginning. And now we take them from wherever we find them. In Acts chapter 2, when there's 3,000 people that get saved, uh, and the same day they were baptized and added to the church, do you think there was any sinners in that? Do you think everybody was a totally consecrated, mature Christian by then? They'd been saved an hour. No, no. You get them saved, you say, well, are you going to let sinners get to be members of the church? Yes, yes. Whether you know it or not, your church is packed full of them. Yeah, you, we get them from wherever we are, wherever they are, and we try to get them to where God wants them to be. That's what we're doing. We're helping them with the grave clothes. And, and so now, win them, wet them, and work them. Well, I hate to sound quite this pragmatic, but here's what you learn after a few years of ministry. If you can get people engaged in serving the Lord, working in, through, and with the church, if you can get them busy, they start taking ownership in the church. It's not, do you know that church does that? It's, our church does this. Uh, it's not, you know that church passes out tracks. It's, we pass out tracks. It's not, that church has a food ministry. It's, we have a food ministry. When people start getting engaged, they take ownership and they have a commitment and a loyalty and an allegiance to the church and they're not upset by little minor fractious things. They just, hey, look, uh, we're trying to serve the Lord here. We're trying to win people to Christ here. We're trying to support missions here. Uh, we got a lot bigger agenda than your little petty thing here. We, we're, we're trying to please the Lord. And every pastor, every pastor he eats, drinks, and sleeps this. Hey, I got all these different people in our church, and they got all these different gifts. The, the ones that are really good at decorating, we want them to have a part in the decoration. And the ones that are really good at handling money, we want them to be trustees. And those that really know something about music, we want them to be doing the music. And those that are really good uh, teachers, gifted teachers. We want them in the Sunday school classes. Why? Because everybody uses their gift. In whom the whole body, Ephesians 4.16, in whom the whole body, 
fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. If everybody does their part, uses their gift, brings that to the party, and look, America was founded on this. Everybody comes and they homestead and they build their own house and they milk their own cow and they plant their own corn and they, and they clear their own trees. And, but they bring then a skill to the community, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, Hey, I do this, but I'm also the community blacksmith. Hey, I take care of my family, but I can shoe your horse. I take care of the family, but I make saddles. I take care of my family. Everybody brought something to the community to contribute to the good of the whole. I'm the guy. Now, this all is going well. I mean, in our church, hey, the guys that... Uh, good airplane mechanics, we have airplanes from work on. And the ladies that are good cooks, they make sandwiches to put on the airplane for the mission trip. The people that are really good cleaning, we let them clean. Those that are really uh, real loving. My daughter, Tressa, is in charge of our nurseries, and she just loves those little babies Enough to tell, no, your daughter's got a snotty nose and she can't come in here. If you want to get mad, get mad at me. I love all the rest of the babies too, right? Put a handkerchief in there or something. But uh, the, in Christian love, but I'm saying that's a tough job to be in charge of the nursery. You might not be shocked, but, and, and I'm saying, you look for giftedness and engage them in the church and in ministry, right? And so, wow, we've got, I mean, I was in church. Churches are different all over. I was just in a church in Florida, in the Port Charlotte, Punta Gorda area. And there the pastor says, we have 100 nursing home services every month. He says there's 50 different facilities. This is where all the people from up north move down here to retire. We call this whole region God's waiting room. <laughs> he said, so we've got people in our church, some former pastors or deacons or whatever that have moved down here, and these two guys or these two couples go to this nursing home, this nursing home, and this nursing home. And they have 50 facilities they go to twice a month. They do 100 rest home services a month. They've got a bunch of elderly. There's a bunch of elderly around there. No, you don't, you don't have that. We're in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It's the biggest air show in the world takes place in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So we have a hangar and airplanes and an aviation ministry. You don't, you don't have that. You understand what I'm saying? Churches all over find a way to get their people engaged in whatever is honorable and, and plausible and, and possible in their area. And I know pastors all across this country. I've been in 39 states in the last three years. And it's that way. On the Saturday and Monday, my meetings with the pastor are usually more important than the Sunday because it's when the pastor gives his vision, his passion, his challenge, his burdens 
I, I can't fix anything, but I love meeting with pastors and having them say, boy, I'll tell you, we're, we're about to start this ministry, or hey, missions is the centerpiece, or hey, we had 10 young people go help with a vacation Bible school. They, they, they just talk about, here's what we've got our folks doing that's honorable and upright and So, think of, it's this well-oiled machine. It's win them, wet them, work them. Say that with me. Win them, wet them, work them. And we got it going good. Hey, uh, the majority of our church, the people have an area that they work and serve in. Maybe they're the one that fills up the van. Maybe they're the ones that get treats every Sunday for the nursery or the junior church. Maybe they're the ones that are teaching the handbell choir. They, we find people and we get them engaged. And then COVID hits. And last February, March, the government says, hey, 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 you can't, you can't meet it's dangerous. This is a pandemic. You're going to kill everybody. How can you be a shepherd and you don't care if the people die? What's the matter with you? You, you fundamental Baptist that preached against TV evangelists, now you are one. <laughs> You're going to take your people and they're going to stay home and they're going to watch you on television and you're going to have a podcast or you're going to have a YouTube video or you're going to have this but you're going to have just two people in the building the guy running the camera and you no you're not going to have the special music no and no you're not going to the jail. No, you're not going to the rest home. No, you're not going to sing in the choir. No, you're not going to teach a Sunday school class. No, you're not going to run a bus route. No, you're not going to have junior church. No, no, no. And you take every person off the playing field and put them up in the stands. And we turn them all into spectators. And they become professional voyeurs. And they go, hey, let's just watch this. Well, early, March, April, May, it's, hey, Pastor King, this isn't half bad. I mean, our church only had 100 people in it, but we've got 400 people that clicked on our, on our site. And... We got people, our missionaries from across the ocean are able to see us. And hey, all of the shut-ins are able to see us. Hey, the people that have fragile health are staying home. They get to see us. Even some of our former church members are watching us. This is a great, great ministry. And I was only preaching to 100 in person, but I got 400 people that are watching me on YouTube. This is fantastic. 
But then by July, they realize, hey, the people click in for two minutes, but they're, at the end of the message, there's only four people watching because I've bored them to tears. <laughs> they just checked in, but they checked out. And then it's, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are we going to do for offering? Well, there's online giving. Well, if we can get them to just put us on an automatic withdrawal, or they can, uh, hey, 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 we, we don't have to pass plates. We can, they could just give online. It's, it's pretty cool, the technology today, and look at all this, and it's kind of wonderful. They can get receipted at the end of the year. It's all being tracked. Online giving, that's a great thing, man. I'm glad for the pandemic. And then it's, wait a second. Our people that are at home watching, they accidentally flipped the channel and found somebody who's a better speaker than me. <laughs> and there's all these other guys on. And our people have discovered some of those guys. And shocking, shocking, it's going to amaze you. In the bottom left corner of their screen, they got a button that says push here if you want to give. Whoa, wait a minute. We're going to have to get our people back in church. <laughs> Hmm. Hmm. You don't think I'm making this up, do you? So through the middle of the summer, it's, hey, Brother King, listen, I'm working on a series here about Hebrews 10, forsake not the assembling yourselves together, as the manner of some is. I'm teaching through the purpose of the church from Acts chapter 2. They assemble together for worship and prayer and breaking of bread. Hey, you've got to assemble if you're going to bear one another's burdens. Brother King, we've got to get our people back in church. This is ridiculous. And then it's, hey, it's not safe yet for our fragile people, so we've got to be reasonable and prudent, and we've got to be careful, but... We're going to get people back. We've got to get them back serving. So turn with me to Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5. Now Paul's writing to the Christians, and we don't have time to exegete all of it, but notice it's talking about the Lord Jesus, verse 6, the art of priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And uh, verse 8, though he were a son, yet learned the obedience. And it's all about the Lord Jesus, verse 10, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's of whom we have many things to say, hard to be uttered, seeing that ye are dull of hearing. So what, what's going to be is a little bit of a chastening, a little bit of a rebuke. He's saying, look, you, you're dull of hearing here. Right? You read Romans 2 and, hey, you Jews, you boast in the law and you say this and that and, hey, we have the oracles and we're special and 
But he says, you that say thou shalt not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that says thou shalt not steal, dost thou steal, right? If you're going to be the guardians of the law and you're not practicing, you're just hypocrites. And here, he says you to the Hebrews here, you're dull of hearing, verse 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, and that's what I'm preaching today, ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And there become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of, what's the next word? Use. Have their senses, what? Exercised thereby to discern both good and evil. Now notice, just hear what he says here. He's rebuking them and saying, look, you guys ought to be the teachers. You boasted the law. You say you know all this. It's time for you to be a teacher. That rebuke, he says, you have need that one teach you again. Hey, you take everybody off the playing field and you put them up in the stands and now the pastor says, we've got to get back to work. Hey, it's time to get back doing what the purpose of the church is in the first place. Look, in the Vietnam War, we go out and we fight in this area of the jungle and we capture this territory and then after a foray out there on the front lines, we come back for the compound and we're behind the concertina wire and we're there in the hut and the guys take off their boots and they take off their flag jackets and they lay their guns aside and they take off their ammo belt and lay their rucksack down and they smoke a cigarette and eat a, a meal and they're relaxing. Why? Because you can't just go, go, go. You got to recover sometimes. But when the sergeant comes back in and says, hey guys, police up the area, lace up your boots, strap on your ammunition, pick up your rucksack, let's grab your weapons, that's the next hill to climb. Somebody's got to be the vision caster. Somebody's got to be the leader. Somebody's got to say, hey, this is where we're going. Here's what we're doing now. Now, do you suppose in that moment that there's anybody going, oh man, my back hurts. Oh man, I just was just starting to relax a little bit. Oh, well, I don't know. Right? Is there any boating and groaning? Right? That's pretty common and pretty expected even with good people. But that doesn't change the fact that the battle's still out there. The need is still there. People are still dying and going to hell. And people do need the gospel. And we've got to get everlastingly back at it. So now, now what? Now what? I, there's a verse here. It says, for the time ye ought to be teachers. Now hear me carefully. If you think of our goal, we have ulterior motives. We have designs on you. 
when you got saved and you got baptized and you got in the church, our goal for you is to be a teacher. Why? The Bible says, out of your belly should flow rivers of living water. It's not take in, take in, take in. It's you giving out. You say, well, I don't know. I'm not. I'm saying a teacher, as in you could give your testimony from the pulpit. You could have the teenagers to your house and tell them how you got saved. You could be discipling a person one-on-one. -on -one. You could be a witness to a lost guy at work. You could be a Sunday school teacher. You might be a junior church leader. You might be the song leader. You might be someone who's teaching and admonishing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But every person as a Christian should be giving out the Word of God. There's a church in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, Falls Baptist Church, and they have an actual flow chart, an actual uh, sheet that they keep Here's when so-and-so got saved, and here's when they got baptized, and here they completed the discipleship class, and here's where they began to serve. And, but out here at the end, for every person's name, is here's when they began to teach. Here's when they began to give the gospel out. Here's when they began to witness at work. Here's when they began to take a place of service in the ministry. Hey? When the time comes, you ought to be teachers. But he says, but you have need that one teach you again. What be the first oracles of God? Hey, people get out of the habit. People get out of the role. People get out of the burden. It's very easy to float downstream instead of swim upstream, folks. It's very easy to let it go. And, of course, when it comes to Christian maturity, Pastor Nelson, the guy that led me to Christ, he says, Look, I don't mind putting the bottle in your mouth, but I'm not going to part your whiskers to do it. There comes a time when you've got to grow up. There comes a time when you've got to take responsibility. There comes a time when you say, hey, I stride forth and take my place alongside those that are serving. I can't, I'm not going to stay bottle-fed the rest of my life. Notice how it says it in verse 14. Strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. That's maturity. And notice it says, who by reason of use have their senses exercised. That's putting it into practice, folks. That's you actually doing something. And so, hey, I'm pretty simple and I'm done here, but here we are. Now, the honest truth is, almost every state is ahead of this state. I was in seven states in the last two weeks. Nobody is wearing a mask in any church that I've been in. Nobody's taking temperatures. Nobody is uh, being careful about not shaking hands. And I'm saying, now that the vaccines are here and the people who are fragile are staying away and the rest of the people have either had COVID or they've gone from fear to fatalism, hey, if I get it, I get it. But everyone is saying, let's get back at it. Yep. We cannot sit on the sidelines. We can't just sit here and let people go on their primrose path to hell and do nothing about it. Hey, listen to me. Hear me carefully. The pastor's trying to get people engaged, so they go, well, let's see. We, 
things are different. So we got a, a new ministry. We have a ministry now. We have a guy who runs the camera. And then we've got a guy who archives all my old sermons. And so we post them on the internet. So we have an internet presence. Um, we have another ministry. We've got two ladies that come and sanitize the building between every service. Uh, hey, we've got another ministry. People that uh, wipe down all the toys in the nursery with Clorox wipes every service. We've got another ministry, right? They've invented new things to keep people busy. But you know what's missing? Anything resembling outreach to the lost. Now look, we can't just be our own little club in here and satisfy each other that we're fulfilling the Great Commission. We said we're going to win them, wet them, and work them. We said our purpose, get them saved, get them baptized, get them taught. We said our glorifying God is reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. Hey, you can throw conscience money at missions, but eventually you have to get back giving the gospel out in your circle of influence to the people you work with, to people you're related to, to the people you have contact with. Listen, the, the little girl who works at the grocery store who gets a tract at the checkout, she's going to be mighty glad when she gets to eternity that somebody said, let's get back at this. Let's get back at this. And I'm just challenging you. I, this isn't new. Every pastor is going through this. What's reasonable and prudent, but what's passionate and let's get on with this. The, hey, they're going to sue us, or what if somebody dies, or that just goes so far before you have to say, look, uh, uh, enter at your own risk, but we're going to go on doing what God told us to do. And I'm saying, hear me, New York is one of the slowest to wake up, but I've kind of been on this fragile edge of the dawn is breaking in Florida and then in Georgia and then in Tennessee and then in Indiana where people are saying, let's get back in the battle here. And I'm just challenging you. Look, I know uh, you have stricter rules here than almost any place else, and I get all of that, but I'm saying, folks, by the time summer comes around here, we make no apologies for this. We're trying to get you back busy. We're trying to operate church and the things that have to do with outreach. A church in Arkansas, the pastor says, oh, hey, we can't go door to door. So they have a bag with a gospel tract in it, a little card that says, here's how you can view our service, and then a bag of Jiffy Pop popcorn. At least you can watch, have popcorn while you're watching our service. <laughs> and then they go when the people, they don't knock at the door, they just run up and hang the bag on the doorknob. I'm saying where there's a will, there's a way. There's a way to, hey, give them a chance to go to heaven. Give them a chance to be saved. Give them a chance to hear the gospel. And, and I'm just, I mean, I feel so much like it. Here's, here's Randy, a little boy in the corner jumping up and down saying, me too, me too, I'm for what that guy's trying to get you to do. 
I'm chiming in with this. Let's get back doing what the church knows it's supposed to be doing and said this is what we're doing. Then with the help of God, with the wisdom and prudence that God gives you, but there ought to be in this pawing at the anxious, let's get to it, not this reticence of, oh, I'm, I'm pretty used to. That'll never get the job done, folks. This is not a spectator sport. This is going to take work. It's going to take commitment. It's going to be a rekindled, hey, I know what we're supposed to be doing here. And I'm challenging you today. I'm done, but I'd like heads bowed and eyes closed. Just in the quietness of this closing moment, could you at least say, Lord, help me. Maybe it won't be exactly the same, but help me to get back in it, whether it be I can't go to the jail or the hospital, but maybe I can do something else. They won't let me come to the nursing home, but maybe I can do something else. They won't allow me to knock on their door just yet, but maybe it'll be something else. But Lord, show me how I can reasonably, prudently, passionately still fulfill the Great Commission. I want to be busy to the extent that I can, Lord, open doors, and as this thing winds down, find me faithful back in my place. Would you slip your hand up? Lord, please show me what I could and should and ought to be doing and help me to do it. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, you've seen the hands, and Lord, thank you for this good church, and they're just taking their place in line with everyone else, trying to be careful, trying to be conscious, and yet caring about the gospel message and reaching the lost. Somehow, youth activities have to start again. Sunday school has to be in full swing. The outreach to the community has to be front line once again. And Lord, I pray that you'd guide and bless this good pastor and church as they step forward, take strides to get the gospel to a lost and dying world, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.